Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Code Concepts with Rachel and Pete. Uh, Rachel isn't available today. She is on her way to Pittsburgh for the ICC annual business meeting, and uh, we're going to be there tomorrow, which is awesome. And so we have Lorena uh, Souls filling in as a guest host, and we have a special guest today. We have Giovanna Gethers, yeah. uh, who is a life coach, uh, two-time author, uh, book called Why Am I, Why Am I Still Single, and also Epiphany. That's her new yes. book. That's and they're available on Amazon. I'll give you guys the links in, in a bit. But um, today's discussion is mental health and change management. Um, in the code enforcement profession, it's so important that we take care of ourselves and our mental health. And that's why we brought Gianna on, uh, Giovanna on today because she is a specialist in this field. And she's worked with code enforcement divisions to um, help them assist them in that change management. So with that, can you give us a little bit uh, background, Ms. Uh, Giovanna? Yes, thank you so much for the introduction um, and very nice to finally see you in person and nice to meet you as well, Lorena. Um, I am Giovanna Gathers. I'm physically located in Greenville, South Carolina, and I have been running my own private practice um, providing individual couples and family therapy for the past 10 years. And so I am a licensed mental health professional, licensed therapist, and love talking about the subject, love educating people, empowering people, informing people. As you said, I'm also a life coach. I'm a motivational speaker. I just did a speaking tour in Nairobi, Kenya this past July. And so that was absolutely amazing. And I host retreats conferences and just really love any opportunity to, you know, to, to share knowledge and help people transform and improve their lives. And I'm also a happily married mother of two. Awesome. Thank you. And, you know, in, in doing some research on you, I, I saw that you have a wealth of knowledge in different topics, you know, whether it be relationships or, you know, or, or you know, coping with, uh, you know, some personal issues, uh, dealing with couples and, and people don't realize that us as code enforcement officers, we sometimes bring that, I, I don't want to say baggage, but bring those issues into the workplace. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we need to, to sit back and, you know, take care of ourselves and, you know, because we're dealing with the public and it's sometimes a little bit difficult, uh, to, mm -hmm. to juggle two different lives because sometimes you have to be the stern, uh, person in the field and sometimes we have to be the stern parent or sometimes a loving parent and the loving uh, code enforcement officer so yes. it's it's a, a big uh, spectrum so yes yes you know and and you talk about bringing home to work but then also knowing how to shut off work when you're at home because you certainly can can take that when you've been in that stern role all day you can certainly walk into your household and you're that person and they don't necessarily need you to be that person so you know certainly part of our our, our growth and development and and having good mental and emotional health is knowing kind of how to separate those things and how to shut off one thing so that you can be fully present you know for everyone that needs you in a different role yeah, and sometimes with code enforcement officers and code officials, you know, we, we constantly deal with people, giving people bad news. And, you know, in, in your experience, you know, for us, it's kind of like a daily thing. We tell people, hey, um, you know, clean up this or your, you know, your particular lifestyle is this, you know, and we have an effect on people daily, you know, and, and, and people don't realize that over time that can accumulate and it kind of creates uh, like, you know, you, you kind of get distance from from people. And, you know, how, how does someone cope with that? Um, I think one of the best ways and this is going to probably sound simple, but difficult to do. But um, one of the best ways is realizing that you're not what you do, that that even though you may be in a position where you have to deliver um, some, you know, distressing or unfortunate news to someone, but realizing that that's not necessarily who you are and being able to separate to a certain extent who you are from what you do, I think may help you to be able to cope with that. But sometimes the lines get blurred and we become what we do. And so therefore we're not able to really mentally separate that. And so that's how a lot of times I think we end up taking things home and how I think we end up, you know, um, feeling like there's no separation between our work life and, and our personal lives. 
So, yeah, but but certainly there are lots of ways to deal with that. Talking to someone like me, um, a trusted therapist, having a trusted friend, not necessarily telling your spouse everything, because I promise you they probably are tired of hearing it. Um, but, <laughs> but but having that trusted individual that you can call and pour into them and allow them to pour into you just so again that you're not allowing that stuff to accumulate. That's one of the things about us humans, um, Pete and Lorena, is that we typically will let things build up to a breaking point and then we act, then we do something. And I really try to teach people to be proactive and not allow that stuff to accumulate, to do things on a regular basis, you know, practice self-care on a regular basis so that you don't get to that breaking point. Um, because it's a lot easier to deal with, with stress when you're not overly stressed or already overwhelmed. And, um, and so just practicing whatever you enjoy, whether that's tennis or video games or basketball or golf or reading or knitting or whatever that thing is so that you don't really allow all of that junk to accumulate. You know, um, I just want to add, you mentioned um, you become what you do. And mm -hmm. I, I see that with um, a lot of not just like code enforcement, but a lot of um, law enforcement, for instance, an example of that. I mean, my mom, she was a correctional officer for many, many years, and she used to be just this sweet little lady. And then when she got into corrections and then you you know, she became that, that law enforcer. So when she came home, she was like very strict, like, why isn't this done? Why isn't that done? And instead of being that caring person, so she lost the ability to um, separate that, like you indicated. So mm -hmm. I, I bet that's true for a lot of people in law enforcement. It, it's true across the board, honestly, Lorena. Um, it, it's not just law enforcement. A lot of times it happens to, uh, I'll share a personal story. I have a family member who is a manager and manages probably two, 300 employees a day. And, and so she was having an issue because when she was coming home, her spouse was saying, Hey, I'm not one of your employees. And, and, and so again, that's just how much we can really fuse with what we're doing and the role that we're playing throughout the day. And then we come into our, our personal space and, and we're still carrying on those behaviors and they're not necessarily as efficient when we're with our significant others so yeah that's that's definitely um a good example and you know it's the same thing that happens to people too it when when they lose their job or when you know their lives happen in a way that things shift and so now they may have been doing a certain job but maybe because of an injury or because of some other reason now they have to do something different and people a lot of times will actually go into a depression because so much of who they are and who they've identified with was their job or was that that other particular role that they were in and so now they can't really transition very well professional athletes another great example just don't know what to do with themselves upon retirement because i've been used to doing this thing and now i don't know who i am apart from that right and that's a that's a very um a very good statement you know, because one of the things that uh, I've discovered, and I'm, I'm, I'm now in my 40s, so, and one of the things I discovered about myself in my mid-30s was how to love myself and who I am, and 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 until I was like maybe 35, 36, I really didn't know who I was. I just had it was uh, I would say it was a shell of me of what everybody else expected. Because if you ask me what my favorite color was, I didn't really know what my favorite color was or my favorite song was. I just, hey, I like everything. Well, no, there's something that makes you feel good inside. And what is that? I don't know. And yeah, so, you know, and, and knowing yourself and knowing what you're capable of, to me, it's such a an awakening. And, you know, and, and when I hear, you know, a lot of code enforcement officers, you know, um, they don't know how to shut off the code enforcement and, you know, even I'm guilty of it. I'm driving down the street and I'm looking at everything. I want to enforce everything. I'm like, no, that's not even my city. <laughs> you know? but, um, but we do have a, a, um, a question from our LinkedIn audience. It's, okay. You know, in this age of COVID, how do you keep home and work separate while driving, um, while working remotely? Wow, that is a really amazing question. Um, one of the things I would certainly say is 
to have a designated workspace if, if that's a possibility i know sometimes for people that's just you know it's just not physically possible but having a designated work area um and and so when i'm in that work area then i am obviously committed to work and then being able to leave that work area i mean literally closing the door or the on your office your home office or if if you just in a, a workspace at the kitchen table you know making sure that you're actually shutting down your laptop and different things like that just to kind of send a signal to your brain that i am now separating myself from work another thing would be minimizing those notifications you know some of us have our work emails popping up on our personal cell phones we have all sorts of notifications uh, calendar notifications minimizing those notifications are shutting them off at a certain period if, if something's not a crisis or urgent for you to respond to at that moment then don't let it be a crisis because you know naturally human behavior if I see something pop up on my cell phone or on my tablet I'm I, I have a t you know a curiosity to click on that and then next thing I know I'm responding to an email at 9 p.m. when I should be watching a movie with my spouse and so just you know setting some boundaries learning to say no to things as much as you can um, not just because there is a tendency to when you're at home you you blur the lines and so oh let me it's nine o'clock let me go and just do that one thing that i didn't get done earlier when if you had left the office you wouldn't necessarily do that so just setting very clear boundaries between your workspace whatever that is if that's a physical office or room close that off shut it off at a certain period and then don't go back in there until you're ready to start work again and if that's a, a kitchen table or a dining room area or living room then just make sure that when you're finished work you now turn that space back into the living space that it is and and what what kind of um, suggestions would you have for somebody because you know when i come home with my and my spouse like how was your day it was good and that's the extent of like my explanation yeah. of my day. I mean, that's always been my yeah. MO where she would go to work for my, my wife would go to work for four hours and talk to me about it for about six because she oh, did yeah. a play by play, you know, yeah. analysis of what she, what she thought she, the other girl's issue was. And I'm like, you know, so she's reliving her day. So how, do, how does somebody, is that healthy or is it not healthy or how does somebody avoid doing that or not? Maybe I'm not communicating. I mean, there's so many, factors and you know and, and things like that well you bring up a really good point and as you mentioned earlier you know i do a lot of work around relationships and around some of the differences between men and women and and so just what you just said she wants to tell me about her day and it might last three or four hours because women we love the details and so we're not just going to tell you about the issue we're having <laughs> with a co-worker we're going to tell you what kind of shoes she had on that day and that maybe the shoes didn't really match with the rest of the outfit and so <laughs> for, for men you are all just want the resolution you know okay how did it end what did you do what was the outcome of that you're not really interested in the details women are and that causes a lot of communication issues between um, partners because women want to share the details and we want to feel validated and heard in that and so that can cause a lot of friction when I'm working with couples and so what I tell the women is that's why you have girlfriends you know get you a good girlfriend because she's gonna appreciate all the details she wants to know what color the shoes were your spouse if you're married to a man he doesn't necessarily care what happened what was the outcome and and so i think that you know recognizing that there are differences and um and that you may not necessarily need that pete you know being true to yourself i may not want to come home and talk about work because i really may need a break and a separation from that because if you do come home and talk about work then you're really never off work and so i think you just kind of have to um have some balance in that um especially when you're in a field like yours or like mine if I didn't shut it off, trust me, everybody in my family would make me their personal therapist. Everybody that on my street, my neighbors, my friends, I, I would never be off. I would literally be doing therapy and motivating and coaching people 24 hours a day. And so I have to be very firm with my boundaries about this is where this stops and this is where this starts. And my husband is not afraid to tell me in a heartbeat, 
you are not my therapist. I am not the client. And, and so when I do forget and I allow that to, to blur the lines a little bit, he is very good about letting me know I am not the client. You're not the therapist. And then I'm like, you're right. Let me shift back out of that. And um, so, yeah, I think you just have to kind of know yourself in your relationship and, and, and be okay with that. And, and so we do have um, a coffee with my girlfriends that code enforcement officers have. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's, it's funny because I'm the only guy that's a good day. Hey, we're having, welcome ladies and Pete. <laughs> and that's only because I'm the techie guy by default, you know, but you know, and, and listening to those conversations, I see what you're talking about, the deep, you know, the, the devil's in the details, you know, and I'm always like, oh, what? you know, and, and I listen to it and I'm, I'm, you know, I, I feel myself like, wow, you know, like my, my spouse goes through this daily, tells me about her day. And I'm sitting here listening to everybody else's day. I'm like, you know what? She deserves the same amount of equal attention. And you're right. Mm -hmm. You know, so so coffee with my girlfriends. Shameless plug. Uh, last Friday of the month for Code Officials. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, it's it's such a good program. They have a lot of motivational speakers. You know, it's the women leaders in code enforcement. Uh, it's they do this thing yearly, and it's a great thing where professionals like you get invited, and they just oh, yeah. have great talks about women issues and, 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 you know, just empowering each other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I have to share something that my husband says, like, um, you say women, we like to share all the details. And so sometimes my husband will be like, Oh, how was your day? And then there I go, Oh, really? You want to know? So I just go sharing everything. And he's like, Lorena, Lorena, don't, don't build me the clock. Just tell me the time. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> You just asked. I'm sharing. Yes. But, and, um, and that's just one of the fundamental differences between men and women. And, and I, again, I have women get mad and they'll say, well, he doesn't want to listen to me and he's not interested, not realizing that we're just wired differently. It's, it's not necessarily good or bad. They're not just all being jerks, you know, or, or, or right. uninterested. It, they're just not wired that way. And that's why I say keep you a group of good girlfriends. And so she wants to hear the story. She wants all the details and you can just talk to your heart's content and then she's going to tell you her story or her take on it. But for the man, he just wants the time. Absolutely. Awesome. And then we did have, um, so the, to talk about a little bit of men and women, here's a link. It's, it's going to be in the yeah. comment on the uh, why am I still single and that she'll go into into that. And that's a big uh, communication is key. And, and we did have another question from our uh, audience uh, on LinkedIn. It's a lot of challenge uh, changes since COVID. Mm -hmm. How should code officers deal with a transition and change in, oh, it's the same question. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's a good question. So, yeah. <laughs> um, you, you know, I get asked this a lot. I, and I'm a, I'm, I, in Epiphany, there's a chapter called Embracing Change. Um, and I, I share that because, again, as humans, we are hardwired to resist change. We like familiarity. We like comfortability. We like to do the same thing, especially if it's working. Um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And so, the problem with that comes is when there is a change that we cannot control. And so we begin to feel very overwhelmed and powerless. And then the thing that we do is we start resisting that change and resistance brings distress. Resistance brings on depression, anxiety, um, again, just feelings of powerlessness and overwhelm and stress. And so the more you can learn to be resilient and adapt to change, the better you're going to be, the better you're going to feel physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, because the more we resist something, the more it persists, you know, what we resist persists. And so the more I'm against whatever this change is, because I don't like it, it's not preferable. None of us are excited about COVID. I can't stand wearing masks, especially when I have my glasses on peak, because I can't see they fog up and it gets hot and I, I just can't stand it but there's nothing I can do about it. And so it goes back to the serenity prayer, you know, knowing, changing what you can 
accepting what you can and having the wisdom to know the difference. Um, and, and that just brings on acceptance and acceptance doesn't mean condoning. It doesn't mean that I like it or that I prefer things to be that they, the way that they are. It just means that I accept for now, this is the way it is. So one way I would say to answer that question is, you know, find ways to be more flexible and more adaptable to the changes, accepting that those changes are in place for all of us. Now you're not alone. We're all having to adjust based on COVID. I'm a parent. We're having to adjust schooling and homeschooling and navigating that whole thing based on COVID, you know, my children and their sports and that kind of thing. So yeah, I could be mad about it and go through this transition like everyone else, or I can just go through the transition like everyone else. So it's a choice. We get to choose how we're going to respond to what we're, you know, what we're dealing with. You know, we can't control the ocean, but we can, you know, work the sails on our sailboat to navigate the waters. And, and that's a good point that you brought up with the serenity prayer. You know, um, leaving the military, I volunteered at the VA at the um, Substance Abuse Center. And, you know, and then, and then I did a little stint in the suicide hotline, you know. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that people don't realize that a lot of times people deal with substance abuse in the workplace and none of us are aware of what they're dealing with. They're having these issues and they bring these and it changes, you know, maybe they're dissatisfied with the workplace and, you know, they turn to substances to, to, you know, whether drinking at night just to sleep it off and, you know, it just becomes a habit or, you know, some people just can't be present. So they take up, you know, prescription pills and, and, you know, they walk around and, and, you know, one of the things that I learned is, you know, like you, you don't really need to, um, to take any type of uh, substance to just be high on life. You know, life is awesome. When you take that perspective and you change it, you know, um, it, it changes your mindset so much because I sit on a lot of code enforcement forums and I hear how people hate their jobs. And, you know, I my mentality is like, I get to serve the public today. I get to do this. I get to, you know, where people it's like, oh, you have to do this because I'm this person. And then they get upset when people aren't complying. And I'm like, look, if you take a different mindset approach to say, I get to do this. I get to serve this. I get to help this person make their neighborhood better. Mm -hmm. You, you know, that there's a field of energy and, you know, that, that just radiates around you. You know, you, in, in, in a podcast that I saw, you talked about, you know, those people around you, you know, the, your, your circle of friends and, you know, bad energy and having those things. And, you know, and, and, you know, you're a breathing coach as well. And, you know, and, and people don't realize that sometimes just, taking a deep breath and relaxing does wonders for you. And can you go in a little bit of a, you know, a little bit on this subject? Yeah, um, absolutely. And you actually um, verbalize one of the things that I teach my clients. It's not that you have to, it's that you get to, because there are so many people around the globe that, that can't, you know, they're not able to. And so, you know, I just, again, I just came back from Africa um, where I did a tour of some of the slums and different areas like that and learned that the majority of people earn less than a dollar a day. And, um, and so I get to go to work. I get to do this work. Not that I have to, I get to. And if you really don't like what you're doing that much, it goes back to the serenity prayer. God grant me the courage to change the things that I can. If it's just not for you, then please find something that is more for you. But one of the things you said too, it's all about your mindset. Everything goes back to mindset. It goes back to choice. No matter what kind of day I've had per se, I've had a great day. My mother used to always say, any day above the dirt is a great day. And so no matter if I had a flat tire that morning, if I spilled coffee on myself, I've had a great day because it's up to me to define how my day went, not the circumstances of my day. And some days that's harder than others. I get it. But I still make a concerted effort to do that. My happiness comes from within me, not the things that I'm experiencing. And that's also in, in Epiphany, a chapter on happiness, is that when we really define, you know, what makes us happy, what fulfills us from within, we don't rely so much on external things like our relationships, our jobs 
our, um, you know, friendships or different things like that or our hobbies. We don't need to rely on those things to make us happy or to fulfill us or bring us a sense of enjoyment. And um, breathing, yep, it's the first thing that we do when we are born and or it's the one thing we do and it's the last thing we do when we um, expire. And so I teach people how to use their breath to manage anxiety, to manage stress, to manage feelings of overwhelm. I've had people that struggle with panic attacks use my breathing techniques, which I'll be happy to show you a really quick one for about a minute. If, if we have time, I'll show you one that's very effective that I have taught a lot of different companies and corporate settings and the employees will still reach out to me and say, Giovanna, I had to use that technique the other day and it really does work. And another good thing about the breath is always with you. So I don't have to go to a spa. I don't have to go to an ashram. I don't have to, you know, uh, get away and go away on vacation. My breath is there all the time, wherever I am. So my breath is there when I'm sitting in traffic, my breath is there when I'm on the brink of an argument with my spouse, my breath is there when I'm standing in the checkout line with the new cashier. Right. And so that's just something that's always available to us. It's just to slow down, stop and breathe. You know, I'm glad you shared that because um, I get really bad test anxiety. And so when, you know, right now I'm studying for another exam I'm going to be taking. And, and that's just one thing that I always remind myself, like, especially when I get distracted, you know, and you're in the exam and then you start panicking. And the one thing that brings you back to center is just plant my feet on the ground and take three deep breaths and say, okay, like you got this, you refocus, get back in the moment of things. And mm -hmm. so breathing is very key. So yes, I would love for you to share yeah. that one minute sure. breathing okay. technique. Okay. And you can actually do it longer than one minute, but again, typically I'm in a webinar and I'm held to a time limit. And so I usually just do one minute to show people how honestly effective it is in just 60 seconds. So I encourage most of my clients to do it at least three to five minutes on a daily basis. If you wait until you're already in a crisis, now you're trying to bring yourself down from like a 10 um, to a two or a one. But if you start to do it on a regular basis, then you'll realize that you don't always go to a 10 so easily or so frequently. And so everybody has three to five minutes a day to devote to themselves to just sit and do some deep breathing like you are so worth it and so again if you're going to make time to stop for that coffee at starbucks or you're going to make time to check facebook and linkedin and instagram devote five minutes a day to yourself to just deep breathe so that you can start your day from a, a, a centered place a grounded place and you will notice that you're not so easily flustered when you mention putting your feet flat um that's a grounding technique and that's why it probably brings you back to center because it is a grounding technique. Because again, when we start to feel like we're all over the place, that leads to a sense of overwhelm, which leads to a sense of panic. We humans need to calibrate ourselves. And so yes. playing your feet and breathing is a great way to recalibrate and center and ground yourself. So um, without further ado, I don't know if, if people are LinkedIn or watching, but um, take your right index finger and you're just going to gently press down on your um, right nostril. And then all you're going to do is breathe slowly and deeply for the next 60 seconds out of your left nostril. And I want you to kind of notice your level of stress before we start and then notice it at the end. Okay, so let's start now. Some of you are probably already starting to feel the effects. Five seconds, four, three, two, one. How are you feeling, Pete and Raymond? Good. Calm. <laughs> calm. I am feeling calm. Yeah. 
definitely calm. 60 seconds. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, I've read that people really don't typically know how to breathe. You know, like people take, you know, not breathing in all the way or just taking half mm -hmm. breath. And we need to develop that muscle to continue to breathe uh, because people forget that oxygen is, you know, one of the key components and for vitality. For and, everything. Yeah. <laughs> and so, for everything. And then going back, um, how does one, you know, because this is more geared towards code officers, how does one realize, because stress and anxiety, they're silent killers, you know, mm -hmm. and how does one kind of get gauged that they're going through stress or anxiety? Because, you know, like for me, people, you know, always comment that I seem very cool and collected, but I go through my own issues where I feel something, but I don't, my mind doesn't say it's stress. But I know it has to be stress, or it has to. So, what it, what are some some telltale signs that we're going through something that we need to recalibrate or need to take care of ourselves? I think when you start to feel again, I think a sense of overwhelm. That that one is an easy one to recognize because most people know when they're feeling overwhelmed. Um, you may become forgetful. You may have problems with concentration. Um, you are kind of on autopilot, so you're just kind of going through your day, but you're not really present. You're not really there. Um, again, you're forgetting things. You're missing deadlines. You are finding it difficult to focus or concentrate. You're not sleeping well. That's another very good physical indicator is that you're not sleeping well. Um, maybe you're having some heart palpitations. Um, maybe uh, you're, you're not feeling well, just kind of a general feeling of malaise. Um, you mentioned stress and anxiety being, you know, silent killers. They are really the underlying factors for every form of dis-ease that there is, which is why they call it dis-ease, lack of ease. And so, you know, it does us all a benefit to uh, to do that five minutes a day or longer if, if you need it, um, just to bring yourself back to calm, bring yourself back to center so that you're operating again, just from a uh, from a core and not just from being scattered all over the place or, or flustered. Um, so it, it's, it's definitely um, highly important uh, to recognize that another way it affects you is even you're eating, either you're not eating or you're overeating, um, recognizing if you use substances. Now you've gone from one glass of wine to now you need three glasses of wine just to unwind. Or maybe you picked up some other bad habits. Maybe you're, for women, you're or not just women, but maybe you're shopping more. Maybe you're finding a need to spend more money or shop or Amazon has become your best friend. And, and so these are all the ways that we sometimes try to minimize um, and dampen those feelings of anxiety and stress. Um, and, and some of them are very unhealthy, some not so unhealthy, but still not necessarily optimal or beneficial for us. Um, and, and so, yeah, but, but certainly there are people that, that bury their stress peak that appear that nothing bothers them and nothing affects them, but not realizing that there are, is a lot going on underneath the surface. I refer to this as like a lake. When you look at a lake, it looks extremely still on the surface but if you go down underneath you see there's all kind of activity going on and and so you know even with clients that maybe have had a past history of some type of trauma or just some type of um thing that they've never resolved um they may look a certain way on the surface they may appear calm and like they have it all together but if you were to go underneath you'd find there's all kinds of stuff that is going on and so just because i can't visibly see it or others can't visibly see it doesn't mean it's not still affecting me doesn't mean it's not affecting my internal organs or my breathing or the way that I'm sleeping and so um, all of us I think can just practice more self-awareness to know that when we really are stressed and and also knowing how much of stress is self-imposed you have actually talked a lot about perspective um, and I will honestly say I'm a person who just doesn't have a lot of stress now let me clarify that I do have a lot of life so what I mean is life happens to me just like it happens to everyone else. Um, I get in the checkout line with the new cashier. I get go through the drive through and they forgot to put something in the bag that I might have asked for twice. And so I still have life happening as well. But it's what I tell myself 
about what that means. And I'm not just doing that to mask anything. I'm doing that to shift my perspective. And so I just realized that a lot of stress is self-imposed. Um, if, if I am late, I can be upset and late or I can just be late. Uh, and then I can um, adjust myself for the next time and make sure that I leave 20 minutes earlier. So a lot of our stress is self-imposed. It is things, our reactions to external circumstances that we take and make internal. Yes, I agree. Hey, so um, I wanted to ask, like, so recognizing that internal stress for oneself how how do you recognize it like maybe say for a code officer who goes to someone's house and is maybe investigating a complaint or something that maybe someone that they're engaging with has stress or has a mental illness how do we or because for myself I'm not in that capacity so how would I recognize that so you're asking how would the enforcement officer recognize the individual is under stress or suffering from a mental illness? So I, I think for us code enforcement officers, we, we have to have a sense of emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. and, and most of us develop that we become kind of some empaths sometimes where we start recognizing how people how people react to certain types of tonality or mm -hmm. you know and, and and you know in being in code enforcement, we're dealing with these people and a lot of times we we have to be strong for ourselves. So we shut ourselves up on emotion and, you know, we don't tend to realize what the violator is going through. You know, if, if we're that breaking point for them, um, how, how does somebody use, like I think Lorena is trying to ask, how do we recognize those things for us that aren't developed as good empaths or can, you know, peg it on someone's uh, emotional intelligence. What's a good tool to start realizing that there could be an issue with the person you're servicing? Um, I, I think recognizing any outwardly visible signs, sometimes you just don't know until you know, until you can't avoid it. Uh, even with myself, I mean, I, I can't automatically detect if someone has a mental illness, but if I interact with them long enough, then I can start seeing the signs and I'll say, uh oh, I think something's going on here a little bit deeper than what I initially thought. So I would say looking at those outward visible signs. Um, but again, some people are excellent at masking their emotions. And so you may, again, you may not know until they explode, but I would definitely say paying attention to those outwardly visible signs, as you mentioned, having your own emotional intelligence, but it's also the way that you approach people. But sometimes I can approach someone with the best of intentions and it's still not be received well, but just making sure that as I approach, that I am um, approaching them in the best manner possible. Um, you know, one of the big, big misconceptions is that we can't be um, forceful and kind, or that we can't be, you know, strong and compassionate. And the reality is, is that we can, those things don't have to be mutually exclusive. Either I'm compassionate and I'm a pushover, or I'm strong and I'm, you know, callous or I'm uncaring. And so finding ways to, you know, understand or put yourself in that person's shoes as much as you possibly can, trying not to have as much judgment about why the situation is the way that it is. I think, you know, the more we get back to just seeing people as humans like us, the, the better off we'll be. But we've so disconnected from that. And I think that's one of the downsides of COVID because we've all been sort of forced to go online and, and just interact over the internet that, that, again, we're losing so much of that human component. Um, but just seeing people as people and trying to understand that for you, this might be number six that day, but for them, it's the only thing that matters. Yes, thank you. And, and, you know, switching gears a little bit, you know, um, you know, I love the way you touched on us interacting with the public and taking care of ourselves. But sometimes in the internal from the management perspective, when this is a Tuesday topic, but sometimes, you know, code enforcement officers go through, um, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, when it comes to change management, uh, you know, you have a new regime of, you know, of going into a city and, oh, we've done things that way or somebody felt that they deserved the promotion and, you know, or, you know, things are changing or they feel obsolete or uh, people feel like, you know, get that reality check where maybe I didn't know as much as I thought I knew when somebody new comes in and, you know, it has a, a impact on their self-esteem. So as code enforcement officers, how does one deal with that? 
Yeah, you know, I think it goes back to, again, two things we've talked about, change and how to navigate change and being more resilient and adaptable, and then also mindset and perspective. I can't stress those two enough. Um, you know, some, sometimes your biggest disappointment um, is the thing that, that opens you up to your greatest opportunity, um, if, if you allow it to. You know, people that have... Um, maybe a relationship ended and then they met the love of their lives or someone has something else, you know, they got rejected for this position, but then a better position opened up later. And, and so we can't always know what everything means and we can't always decide what it means based on just that external criteria. So, you know, even if I didn't get that promotion, what does that mean? Um, does that mean I'm a failure? Does that mean that it's unfair and they don't like me? It's a racial thing. It's a sexism thing. It's a favoritism, nepotism type of thing. Or can I say, well, maybe it's just not for me at this time. Maybe there are other leadership or management classes that I want to take or engage in. Um, maybe your spouse is going to walk in two days later and said, hey, we're moving to, to Texas. And so you're glad because you couldn't have taken that position anyway. And so I think just the more that we're able to flow with life and not just have to always have that white knuckle grip on everything and be so in control of every variable and every aspect of our lives, the better off we're going to be. I've heard people could say it's like water. You know, water is the most um, non-resistant force that there is, but, but water can, you know, destroy a city. And, and so for us, you know, the more we learn to just embrace some of the changes in our lives and not locked down and be so resistant because it's not the way I thought it should be or it's not the way not going the way I want it to go or things didn't turn out the way I thought they were going to turn out then I just I think we make it easier on ourselves when we do that and I'm not talking about being complacent or just not caring and being callous I'm just saying again deciding how are we going to navigate the waters when they get rough and you know I have a, a story I'll share with you and Back when I first started, I was a really quick uh, high riser as far as promotion wise. And I got to a point where I thought I deserved a promotion and they put somebody that had no experience over me and it drove me batty. I could not handle it. And you know what? Now looking back, now that I'm in a different position, a higher position, I look back and I'm like, I wasn't ready for that position at that time. And, and it was... You know, back then it was a tough pill to swallow because I somebody doesn't like me, they hate me, exactly what you said. And, you know, I took that, you know, well, that kind of drove me to do other things like join associations, become a better version of myself. Mm -hmm. And it was because of, of that. But I could have taken that and just let it fester in me. And then I would have been just an employee that hated my job. And, mm -hmm. and I think that happens to a lot of code people where you know something didn't go their way and they didn't um, they didn't excel. So how, what what's something that to get out of the mindset? What would you recommend for some somebody going through that? Yeah, one of my favorite um, philosophers. Um, he he was Turkish, Rumi or Rumi. I'm I'm never sure how to pronounce his name, but I I love a lot of what he um, a lot of his quotes. But one of my favorites is live as if everything is rigged in your favor live as if everything is rigged in your favor. So that means even the disappointments, even the apparent setbacks, even the rejections, even being, even being passed over for the promotion, live as if everything is rigged in your favor. So therefore I now can look at my rejections or disappointments or setbacks or even my supposed failures as really just another way for me to succeed anyway. And so what you did was you took that and 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 you utilized it to your advantage. Um, and, and therefore now you're looking back and saying, I really wasn't ready, but look at all I gained in the process. Uh, and you're right. Many people will just shut down and feel like a victim and, and be angry and resentful or they would have left the, the industry altogether. And um, and so deciding, you know, what if I live as if everything is in my favor? And, you know, how many people have talked about that um, they got stuck in traffic and only to learn that maybe five miles down the road, there was a fatal car accident. And so, you know, if, if you begin to just trust the process, 
and and that everything is rigged in your favor then you can begin to look at um some of the again some of the challenges in your life or some of the um yeah look at the challenges as opportunities maybe this is an opportunity for something else because life really is for me it's all about our mindset if i live as if it's against me i'm going to continually experience that if i live as if it's for me then even the negatives even the perceived failures somehow end up working out for me and that kind of goes into the you know i'm a big believer in the law of attraction you know and i, and I think if, if you always bring negativity into your life. And that's something that I saw that you talked about, you know, bringing uh, energy, you know, energy. What was that saying? You said energy doesn't disappear, just expands or, you know, you said something. I was like, wow. Energy, maybe energy cannot be created nor destroyed. Yeah. Yes. It really is transformed from one state to another. And you're right. We are all just walking balls of energy. And so if I'm walking, you know how, Pete, have you ever had a day where it just seemed like everything went wrong and, you know, one thing went wrong and then, you know, five things went wrong. And by the end of the day, you're just like, oh, my gosh, let this day end so it can hurry up and be tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, right? Yes. You can start with stubbing your toe in the morning. Yeah, that's right. Started off with your toe and then you spilled your coffee and then you said yes. your keys and then you were in traffic and then you get to work and, you know, somebody's sitting at your workstation or something like that or your boss yells at you about something. But on the flip side, have you ever had one of those days where it seemed like you couldn't miss? that everything worked out in your favor. All the lights were green. You got that great parking space. They had what you wanted for lunch that day and they fixed it perfectly. And when you got home that evening, your spouse was ready to see you or your dog was excited and you went on a walk. And when you laid down, you thought, wow, I'm the luckiest person alive. We've all had those days as well. And so what that is really based on is our energy. Like attracts like, and that's according to the law of attraction like attracts like for people that say no i don't do the law of attraction giovanna i'm a christian it's the bible okay it's the law of sowing and reaping what you put out is what you get back it's the same concept what you put out or for every option action there's an opposite but equal reaction it's all the same law and so basically i'm attracting what i'm sending out and so if i stub my toe and now all of a sudden i'm cursing and i'm kicking things around and then i find that my husband didn't put the toilet seat down again and my children left their shoes in the hallway and i get outside and dock on it my spouse didn't put gas in the car and now i'm gonna be late because i've got to stop and get more gas and then i get there and he's in my parking space again and and so i'm just staying in that negative downward spiral and my day continues to mimic my energy or have you ever had a day that started off rough and then somehow you were able to shift out of that and then you had the best afternoon or evening ever it's all just energy and we're all walking around attracting or repelling all day long whether we agree with the law of attraction or not whether we believe in it or not it's still happening and so i personally have just become a better manager of my energy what is it that i want to send out because what is it i want to attract and experience and so again if you're sowing a lot of negativity in your words your thoughts or your actions that's exactly what you're going to get back when they talk about the rich getting richer and the poor gets poor it's not always just because the rich people are dishonest and stealing it's just because they have a certain mindset around money and they attract more of it and the poor get poor because they have a certain mindset around money and they attract more poverty i i, I agree oh go ahead lorena so going back to stubbing your toe in the morning and just setting the tone for the rest of the day just going Right. How do you how do you say, OK, I stubbed my toe. Do you just recognize that and say, I'm not going to let that affect me and let me just choose my attitude. And that's that mindset, right, that you're talking about, yeah. just choosing that attitude choose to recognize attitude. you stop your stub your toe. Let's move on. Yeah. What, of if, what if you laughed about it, Lorena? What if after it stops, <laughs> you start laughing? You know, what if you laugh about it and you say, I have done this again. I cannot. Girl, you did it again. And, and you laugh about it. 
what if that because laughter for one it really is medicine for the soul for the bones so what if you really started laughing about it and then what if now you get in your car and you put on your favorite podcast and now he's or she's making you laugh even more or you put on your favorite motivational message and they told a joke and now you're laughing all the way to work by the time you get there you've forgotten that you stubbed your toe or maybe someone reminds you and so you say you know what i stubbed my toe this morning and that thing hurt so badly but i laughed about it and you know what i have just had the best morning and the best day and so choose you get to choose a different reaction um you know the brain when i talked about earlier how we're hardwired for the familiarity and comfort we like comfort well the brain also likes to default to what it already knows and so if i always react a certain way when i stub my toe my brain doesn't want to think of other alternatives it wants to default to the way that i always react that's how people get into behavior patterns and that's what forms habits i've always done it and then it becomes very difficult for me to break that because i've created a neural pattern pathway or a path so my brain just defaults to that path but when I begin to create another neural pathway even though in the beginning it may be difficult because I've got to create a path again so just think about creating a path um, in a road you know when there's a road that we don't use anymore eventually it grows up and you can't even tell there was ever asphalt there but then think of a field where there was nothing and now somebody has created a path and so you can just drive over it it's the same things that our brains do with our you know with our neural pathways so if I'm used to doing something over and over again it becomes a path and my brain just defaults because that's easiest it's harder for me to try to do this thing but the more i retrain my brain to do this reaction then that creates another neural pathway this one starts to grow up and become a field again and now i don't default to that anymore i now default to this new behavior and that's how we create behavior changes in our lives thank you thank you for sharing that and and another thing that you know you bring up is that sense of uncomfortability Sometimes when we need to, you know, step up and take that challenge on, you know, a new project, do public speaking, do a, a webcast. It's not easy. It's scary. And one of one of the things I always tell everybody: look, if we if we fail, we learn another way how not to do it. And mm-hmm. you know, if, and and a lot of us put our own um, personal. What are people going to think about us? You know, into into you know into the the mix and it. To me, it's like, it doesn't matter what they think. I mean, it should matter to an extent, but it doesn't because at the end of the day, you're doing what you think will benefit the masses. And, you know, when when I talk to code officers about starting new programs, I say, just do it. Well, they're not, you know, my council's not going to, doesn't like this. I'm like, well, did you ask a council? Which councilman told you that? None. Well, our city manager doesn't want to do that. Well, which, when did you talk to him? Well, I didn't. You know, you're making assumptions because if... You have, there's always something in us that tells us you should be doing this. And it's ourselves that keep us from doing that. You know, whether it's, you know, adopting a new, uh, a new ordinance into our city saying, hey, this is a great law. We should adopt it. Well, no, it's too hard or, or this. We talk ourselves out of it. And what, are, what would you um, advise people to say this? Go for it. Yeah, have a, couple of, a, a couple of things. First off, you talked about failure. So one of my favorites, and he's now um, transitioned, Dr. Wayne Dyer has one of my favorite quotes ever, which says, you know, you cannot fail at anything. You know, I and I'm not quoting it verbatim right now, but basically what it says is that you never fail at anything. You only discover what doesn't work. And so if you just begin to look at it as research, then you really didn't fail. You just discovered what didn't work. And so now you can go back and try something again until you discover discover what does work. What if everyone, what if the Wright brothers had just quit that first time and said we failed? No, they just discovered what didn't work. They talk about, I believe it's Thomas Edison that invented the light bulb and how it took him 9,999 times. And he said, I didn't fail that many times. I just discovered all the ways it didn't work. And then he realized that he just needed the filament to make it work. And so what if all these great inventors, Tesla, what if everybody had just decided that they were a failure and not tried again? All they did was discover what didn't work and they looked at it as research. 
and 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 you know opportunities what else can i learn what else can i do what else can i you know um seek to understand and so they try it again and eventually discover what does work and a lot of times what actually works better and so that was one thing so you know my other favorite phrase is do it afraid you know again the brain likes safety it scans for safety its job is to do its best to keep us alive and so um it's gonna not want you to take on things that you are not familiar with it's going it doesn't like the unknown it likes things that it can predict and control um but life is full of unknowns life is full of changes we are moving into fall now the season of change and summer isn't having a meltdown because fall is taking over you know fall didn't run in and just bulldoze summer and say get out of the way it's my turn <laughs> it, it happens naturally it's a natural transition it, you know and everything gets on board the trees get on board you know the temperature gets on board everything goes along with the change and so you know for for us though we don't like we resist the change we resist the unknown not understanding that some of our greatest opportunities um, for growth and success lie outside of our comfort zones lie outside of what we know and what is familiar but you'll never discover that if you're unwilling to to go for it to do it you know my mom used to have a saying Pete that you know she would say why are you so afraid to ask all they can do is say yes or no and and for me it wasn't the yes i was afraid of it was the no and <laughs> and, and so i would say well mom that's kind of you know they can't they can say no the no is what i'm fearing but now i don't even say that anymore i say all they can do is say yes now they do have the option of saying no but because i'm setting my expectation up at the beginning usually 95 percent of the time what do you think i get a yes. A yes. All they can do is say yes. And again, I, my brain understands intellectually people can say no, but I'm not setting up that expectation. I'm setting up the expectation that I'm going to get a yes. And if I don't get a yes, then I'm going to ask someone else until I do get a yes. And so um, I would just say, go for it. Whatever it is, you're never going to know if you don't make the call, send the email, verbalize what it is you're thinking about take the chance when we were children we looked for adventure we looked for challenges we didn't always want to do what was safe but the more we get older and we you know become socialized and we conform to the way things are we just become safer and safer and safer which makes us more fearful more fearful and more fearful and then all of a sudden we're living in this little bitty box you try to put a two-year-old in a box and tell me what happens <laughs> and and it's 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 awesome because you know you made a lot of quotes and you know one of one of the things I hear the answer is always no unless you ask you know and and it's it's so amazing like I get a lot of good guests here on this show is because I ask you know mm -hmm. they're you know having a Giovanna Gathers here it was because we asked and you accepted and because you have a great message and we can talk to you for days I mean. All this stuff, it's great info. I'm definitely going to want to come have you back on. Thank um, you. you know, I mean, we're hitting the hour in about two minutes, but yeah. uh, you know, but I, I am cognizant of everybody's time and stuff. And, um, but, um, you know, this month is a uh, you know, for mental health, there's a it's it's um, we have a, a month, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's Suicide um, Prevention Awareness Month, and um, so know the warning signs of suicide. For yourself, for your children, for people in your lives, your your coworkers, your neighbors, just know the warning signs um, because people usually are crying out for help, even if they're not verbally, you know, making a request for help. People do certain things; they send off certain signals, such as saying goodbyes or giving away, you know, a lot of their possessions or saying goodbyes if they're never going to see you again. You know, settling up all their affairs. Um, they may start engaging in in more dangerous or riskier behavior, such as you know, drinking and driving or, or binging or something like that. Um, they they may just start, you know, looking at lethal means of, of taking themselves out, you know, maybe doing searches on the internet for the best way to, you know, to, to commit suicide. So, um, you know, I have a, a theory about suicide or not even a theory. I, I always share with people that for me, suicide is like closing a book in the middle. 
you know, it's like deciding that you already know the ending of the book at the beginning or in the middle and, and not even knowing that maybe in chapter 15, everything was going to turn around for you. And so don't close the book in the middle, continue to live your life out, get help, reach out, get a therapist, go to a psychiatrist, get on medication. If that's what's required, your life is worth it. The universe has a wonderful way of doing away with what's not necessary or essential like the dinosaurs. And so if you are here and you are still alive and breathing, that is because you are still serving a purpose. We need you stick around. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that and bringing that up. My um, aunt took her life on May 17th, 2017. So, it's it's something that we um, we need to discuss more because uh, suicide is not discussed that much. So it's something for everybody to be aware of. Yeah, I agree. And I'm very sorry to hear that. But, you know, have the conversation as a family because someone else may be feeling that way. But yes. if you don't even address it and talk about it, you don't give people the um, it's like people need permission you know, to say, hey, I've had those thoughts before, or sometimes I get that way, or I feel that way. And sometimes people are just waiting for someone to make it okay for them to verbalize that. Right. And one thing, one final thought before we go, we, the probability of us being a human, it's in the millions, you know, and, <laughs> and, and we're here. We were special enough to be selected to, to, to be alive. And, you know, we live each day as, you know, like to the fullest. And I think that is, you know, when, when I talk to people going through something and it's always good to like see the beauty in everybody. It's, it's something that we have to take the time and say, you know what, you might be annoyed with the guy, you know, you're like, you say, you're paying for gas and then the guy's buying lottery tickets. <laughs> you're, you're like, you're like, you know, but you're, a. Uh, um, you know, but you know what? They're here. They're there. You have to appreciate, you know what? The guy's, you know, there, you know, we're here. We're, we're here. We're alive, you know, and just thank you for being here today. And, yeah. you know, we really appreciate your time. It was and my pleasure. I had a ball. Thank you all for having me. And I would love to come back, certainly. Awesome. And thank you for sharing the links for my books as well. Um, I would appreciate all of you going and buying it. And um, and certainly connected with me on social media, Giovanna Gathers, G-E-A-T-H-E-R-S on um, Facebook, Instagram. I am Giovanna Gathers. And of course, I'm also on LinkedIn. I don't tweet a lot, though, so don't don't look for me there. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Miss Giovanna. It has been a pleasure. Thank you. The pleasure has been mine. Thank you, everybody. And thank you for tuning in. Bye.